0: So I have a confession to make. I have a confession to make. Last week we were in Joshua chapter 20 and we saw and we read and we learned about the establishment of cities of refuge. And these cities of refuge were established where, where if someone killed someone else unintentionally, they could go to the city of refuge for protection. We learned that this was God's demonstration of grace. It was how he demonstrated his grace to those who committed unintentional sins. Sins, but unintentional sins. We also learned that as followers of Jesus Christ today, the same principle applies to you and me, that that God forgives us through Jesus Christ. God forgives us for our unintentional sins, for sins in the past that were unintended. And if you'll remember last week, Jim said... If God brings one of those unintentional sins or more of those unintentional sins from your past to your mind, that you should confess them. So last week while I was sitting in first service, actually right over there, God brought some unintentional sins from my past to my mind. So I would like to confess those to you this morning. I've shared with many of you, and many of you know that I grew up here at Calvary Church. And back in the day at Calvary Church, young people, first through sixth grade, elementary age kids, first through sixth grade, attended what was called junior church. And we attended this junior church that met in the chapel of the old building on Michigan Street. So we would meet in the chapel for junior church every Sunday morning. First, third, and fifth graders sat on one side of the center aisle, second, fourth, And 6th graders sat on the other side of the aisle in the chapel. Well, when I was in 6th grade, my friends and I played a couple of games. Now, I'm confessing these to you as unintentional sins. We played a couple of games. And the first game that we played... What we would do as sixth graders, we were, remember, second, fourth, sixth, we would be in the back row, sixth grade boys were in the back row, and we would sit in this back row, and the first game that we would play is we would see who could stand up the longest after a song was sung. So we'd sing a song, whoever was leading the song would say, you can be seated now, and then the winner would be the person who could remain standing the longest. Kind of silly distracting and definitely disrespectful. Now, I won that game occasionally. The second game we played was even more distracting and disrespectful. Remember I said second, fourth, sixth grade. Sixth grade boys in the back, sitting in pews. So the second game was to see who could crawl underneath the pews all the way up to the second graders and back without being caught. Now, I made it to the fourth grade once or twice, never made it to the second grade, but some of my friends actually did. I'm confessing these as unintentional sins. They were disruptive, and they were dis- they were kind of fun, and now don't get any ideas because I don't, we don't need any of you crawling from the pews, like from the back to the front. If you did, I might clap for you, but I... Uh, unintentional sins that I was able to confess, but while I was thinking about that last Sunday sitting over here and throughout the week, I began to think about the response of the leaders within the junior church because we did we did get caught, and there was one of the leaders of the junior church. He was a guy, and he had this big ring, and he turned this ring backwards on his hand, and he'd sit behind us, and he'd clunk us on the head. When when we do these distracting things, now now it's probably deserving, but it was probably not the best response. But there was another leader. It was the the person who led all of the junior church. She was was like the leader of Calvary's junior church. Her name was Dorothy Bolai, And Dorothy Bolai was this incredibly godly woman who would always respond to our distracting and disrespectful games with, with with kindness and with grace. Yeah, she would reprimand us, she would instruct us, she would try to guide us, but she would always respond with kindness and with grace. And when I began to think about m- my disturbing and disruptive, disruptive actions, I immediately thought about Dorothy Boleye and how she responded and how she acted. Dorothy Bolai was a woman who was single all her life, and for many, many years taught here in Grand Rapids at a local Bible college. And for decades and decades, she served in the junior church at Calvary Church, dealing with disruptive sixth-grade boys. Serving here at Calvary Church, and it... I I just... She's so remarkable that 35 years later, I can include her in a sermon and and speak to the godly character that she presented. And it was clear. Whenever you looked at Dorothy Boli, you saw a woman who had a unique relationship with God. But it didn't end there. Because Dorothy Boli's unique relationship with God led her to a divine purpose. This morning, all of us here need to recognize that not only do we have a unique relationship with God, but that unique relationship with God leads us to a divine purpose for our lives. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua 21 is found on page 186 in the Bible that the church provides. And I'd really love it if you'd follow along with me there this morning. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 21, all the land has been allotted to the tribes of Israel. The land has now been given out to the tribes of Israel. The cities of refuge have been established. But now here in Joshua chapter 21, the Levites are going to receive their provision. Remember the tribe of Levi, these Levites are the priestly tribe of the people of Israel. And we learned back in Joshua chapter 13 that the Levites did not receive an allotment of land. All the other Israelites received land as their inheritance. The Levites received the Lord God as their inheritance. The other tribes received land. The Levites received a unique relationship with God. And this is the tribe that we as Christians are most connected to, because we too, as followers of Jesus, have a unique relationship with God. But the Levites they still needed a place to live. They still needed a place to stay. They still needed a place to pasture their their animals. So they come and they ask for what is due them. They ask for what God has promised them. Just like Caleb came and asked for what God had promised them, the Levites come and ask for what God has promised them. Follow with me as I read, beginning in verse 1. Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh in Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So, as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. The Levites come to Shiloh, which at the time, Shiloh is the center of worship. It's the center of religious activity in this new promised land. The tabernacle at this time is in Shiloh. And not only is Shiloh the center of worship for the people of Israel, it's also the center of administration for the people of Israel. So the Levites come to Shiloh to present their request to receive what God had promised them. Verses 4 through 8 broadly summarize the dispersion of the Levites to 48 cities throughout the land. These 48 cities were distributed to three branches of the Levites. We see in verses 4 and 5, the sons of Koath were given 23 cities from the six different tribes. In verse 6, the sons of Gershon received 13 cities from four of the tribes. And in verse 7, the sons of Merari were given 12 cities from three different tribal territories. Then look at the conclusion in verse 8. So the Israelites allotted to the Levites these towns and their pasture lands as the Lord had commanded through Moses. The rest of Joshua chapter 21 in incredible and mind-numbing detail identifies each of the individual cities that are given to the Levites, the cities in which the Levites are to live. Now, it's important to note that these cities are scattered all throughout the land of Israel. They're scattered all throughout the nation. They're not centrally located. God has specifically allotted these various 48 cities to these Levites and spread them out throughout all the land. Why? Why does God spread these cities all throughout the nation? Well, remember, we said that that the Levites have this unique relationship with God. But they have this unique relationship with God not only for their benefit. They have a unique relationship with God for the benefit of others as well. So God doesn't centrally locate them at Shiloh. He spreads them out through the land so that they can have contact with all of the various tribes so that they can share the benefit of their unique relationship with the rest of the people of Israel. The Levites have a unique relationship with God which leads them to a divine purpose that God has given to them. God has given to the Levites a mission. They are now going to be on a mission from God. And this morning, it is important for you and me, it is important for us to understand the mission that God has given to the Levites. And the mission is threefold. There are three aspects of the mission that God has given to the Levites. The first aspect of the mission is that the Levites were in, to instruct God's people on the nature and character of God and the relationship that they have with God. The second aspect of the mission was to be a people who witnessed to the surrounding nations, and the third aspect of their mission was to provide safety and and refuge. So first, the first aspect of their mission was to instruct people on the nature and the character of God and their relationship to God. The Levites were essentially to be the preachers, teachers, theologians, counselors, and storytellers to the people of Israel. In essence, it boils down to the idea or to the concept that the Levites were to be the teachers of the law. The Levites were to influence all the people of Israel in a way in which they were to follow the one true God. And Moses predicted this. Moses prophesied this purpose for them before they enter the promised land. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 33. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses says, speaking of a Levite, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. The first aspect of the Levite's mission is to be teachers of the law. They were to be the influencers of the people to help the people know and understand God and be in better relationship with God. These places were places where the people of Israel could go These cities where the people of Israel could go and learn about the Lord God Almighty. These were the cities where people like Rahab and her family would go to learn about the one true God and how to be in covenant with him because these were the places that explained the covenant relationship between God and his people. And this aspect of mission, this purpose continues. For hundreds of hundreds of years, even into the monarchy, the Levites are considered to be the teachers of the law. During the time of King Jehoshaphat, we learn that Jehoshaphat puts together a team to go throughout the nation teaching. And this is what it says he did in Second Chronicles 17. They taught throughout Judah. This is the Levites in this team. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. The Levites were to be the teachers of the law, located within these 48 cities, spread throughout the land, throughout the nation of Israel, so that no one was ever too far away from one of these cities to receive teaching the teaching of the Lord God. First aspect of the mission of the Levites, teachers of the law. The second aspect of the mission of the Levites, their purpose was to be a witness to the unbelieving nations that surrounded them. They were to witness and testify to the truth of the one true God. The placement of these cities is important in an understanding that they are to be a people of witness and outreach. In looking at verses 9 through 42, we see a broad survey of each of the cities. As I said, great detail. Each of the cities are identified. Each of the cities that the Levites are to go to are put out. In verses 9 through 26, the 23... Cities of Koath are summarized. In verses 27 through 33, the 13 cities of Gershon are summarized. In verses 34 through 40, the final 12 cities of Merari are summarized. Then look in verse 41 and 42. The towns of the Levites in the territory held by the Israelites were 48 in all together with their pasture lands. Each of these towns had pasture lands surrounding it, This was true for all of these towns. Now, these towns are listed in very important and specific detail, and it's listed like this for a reason. If you look at the map, look at this map. If you look at the map, you will notice that these cities, it's kind of hard to see, but the the black dots around are the 48 Levitical cities that are spread throughout the nation of Israel. Now, remember, when Joshua conquers the land, Joshua conquers the central portion of the land from north to south. And what happens when God allots the Levitical cities is he spreads those cities out, He doesn't centralize them around Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh is the worship capital, if you will, of the nation, the administrative capital of the nation. The Levites are not to remain there. God spreads them out around the nation of Israel. And essentially, if you'll notice on the map, it's an oval that kind of goes out around the nation. Very intentional. God's point and purpose here is he moves the Levitical cities close to the frontiers, into the frontiers, and close to the borders of adjoining nations to Israel. So in the west, near the Mediterranean Sea, you have the Philistines. In the south and in the east, you have the peoples of the desert, the Amalekites and the Midianites. And in the north, you have the Sidonians. They are all surrounding the people of Israel. And God doesn't place the Levites in a safe place secure, central location, God spreads them out to the periphery of the land. Why? So that they can testify to the one true God of Israel. Because when they're out in the frontier, that is when they are going to come into contact with the foreigners from other nations. And God wants them to be a people of witness and outreach. So he puts them out into the frontier in order to be able to testify to the one true God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, who took care of them while they were in the wilderness, who led them into the promised land and helped them conquer the people of this promised land. The Levites are given a purpose, a divine purpose. God sends them on a mission, and the mission is threefold. They are to teach, they are to witness, and thirdly, they are to provide safety and refuge. It's very interesting. Out of the 48 cities that are identified in Joshua chapter 21, six of those cities, and those cities are indicated by red circles, six of those cities are cities of refuge, that we the cities of refuge we learned about in Joshua chapter 1 are actually levitical cities designated in Joshua chapter 21 they're 6 of the 48 cities and these are cities these are cities that God designated to provide safety and refuge they are cities that the levites were to administer so the levites were responsible for, for providing safety Refuge and due process of law for all who came to the cities of refuge. Now, it's interesting what the cities of refuge provided for. There are four things that I'd like to share with you on what they were, what essentially the cities of refuge provided for. First, the cities of refuge were strategically located so that there would be easy access to them. Spread all throughout the land of Israel, six cities, strategically located so that people would be able to get to them in a relatively short time frame. Throughout the highways and the byways in the streets and the roads of the nation, there were signs that indicated this way to a city of refuge. The cities were strategically located. Second, the gates of the cities of refuge were never locked. Never locked. Because think about it, if you're fleeing to a city of refuge because you have unintentionally killed somebody... And that person's relative is on your trail to kill you and you get there in the middle of the night and the door is locked, you die. So the cities of refuge, the gates were always open to the cities of refuge. Thirdly, the city was to be well-stocked with provisions to provide for any fugitives who came to stay. See, the cities of refuge were not only for legal protection, they were to provide for the person's needs. They were to provide food, shelter, clothing. They were to provide for the person sometimes for a term of years until the person could leave that city. Strategically located, gates never locked, well-stocked with provisions. Fourth, everyone was welcome in the city. The gates of the city of refuge were open to everyone. Look at what is said in Joshua 20, verse 9. This is a summation, if you will, of God's amnesty plan. Look at what it says. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. The purposes of the city of refuge was to provide safety and refuge at all times, anytime, to anyone. The Levites had a unique relationship with God which led to a divine purpose in their life. God sends them on a mission, and their mission is to teach, to witness, and to provide safety and refuge. So what does it mean for us? What does it have to do with us? Because this story is thousands of years ago about some priests who lived in a nation that we're not even anywhere close to. Does it have any application for you, for me, for Calvary Church? It has a lot of application for us. This is not just a story that was written thousands of years ago for us to read and say, hmm, that's interesting, and I don't understand why all that detail's in there because it's really boring. No, it has application to us. You see, because the Levitical, the priests and these cities and the priests themselves, the place and the people were called to a mission. Do you see the correlation? Here at Calvary Church, Calvary Church and you and I, we are called to a mission. We have a unique relationship with God because we believe in Jesus Christ and the fact that he forgave us of our sins. That gives us this unique relationship with God. But it doesn't end there because that unique relationship with God is just not for our individual benefits. That unique relationship with God is for the benefit of others. That's why God has given us a purpose as well. He has sent us on a mission as well. And interestingly, our mission is the same mission as the Levitical priests. Remember, they're the tribe that we are most connected to. So we are to be a place and a people Calvary Church and you and I, a place and a people who teach the Word of God. We are to be teachers of the Word of God so that people will know and understand God's character and understand how to be in relationship with Him. So we are to be biblical teachers. We're to be teaching Sunday school classes, small groups. We are to be leading Bible studies. We are to be discipling other people, mentoring one-on-one, sometimes in small groups, sometimes in larger groups. The point is, is that we are called to be teachers of God's word. This is an aspect of the purpose that God has given to us. It is an aspect of the mission that He has sent us on. That's why I talked to you about Dorothy Boley. She was living the mission that God gave to her, dealing for decades with disruptive sixth-grade boys. No offense to the sixth-grade boys in here, but man, you are a tough group. But Dorothy Boli, decades teaching the Word of God, living the mission that God had for her. And I look around, and there are many of you that are pursuing that mission. You are living that mission. Some of you are teaching, leading Bible studies, teaching Sunday school class, coordinating a small group. You are involved. You are discipling somebody one on one, helping them to know who Jesus Christ is and what it means to follow him. You're teaching the word of God. But when we think about that, when we think about teaching the word of God, that can be scary and that can be overwhelming. But God says... Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The first aspect of our mission is we are to teach the Word of God. The second aspect of our mission is we are to witness to the one true God. We are to witness to the people around us of the one true God. God has set it up so that we can go out into our communities. We can go out into the people who we know and teach them and speak to them about Jesus Christ. And I think I was thinking this past week about my neighborhood. And I, you think about your neighborhood, but I'm thinking about my neighborhood, and I look around my neighborhood, and I see, a, I see a guy in my neighborhood that from the outside seems to have it all. He has a really nice house. He has a sweet car. He has a beautiful wife, and he has straight-A kids. But I know on the inside, he's falling apart. There's a guy who sits by me at football games and I know he, he's cheating on his wife. He's destroying his life and his family. There's a woman who's 79 years old or so and her husband just passed away. Husband of 40, 49, 48, 49 years and the husband just died. There's the high schooler in my neighborhood who is racked with anxiety and is trying to self-medicate through alcohol and pot. That's my neighborhood. And I know your neighborhood's similar because we all are in contact with people who need Jesus. The atheist, the mocker, the intellectual, the ignorant, the athlete, the musician. We are all in contact with people who need Jesus, who need rescue from the lives they are living, a life that, which ultimately leads to death. So God has called you to reach these people for Jesus. God has called me to reach these people with Jesus, and God has called us, Calvary Church, to reach these people for Jesus. And here's the thing. Most of our mission fields, they're not far. They're close. They are in the routine of our daily lives. And God doesn't call us to be passive spectators. He has given us this unique relationship with himself, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us. So to you, if you are a lawyer, if you are a business owner, if you are an electrician, if you are in a facility and maintenance position, if you are a student, if you are a plumber, if you are in construction, if whatever you are, you are doing that to reach people for Jesus. Because God is sending you, he has sent you on a mission. And your mission is to teach and your mission is is to witness. And when we think about the Levitical cities, it can be scary to come in contact. It can be intimidating to come in contact with people who don't know Jesus. But what did God say? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Third aspect of our mission is to provide safety and refuge. Our third aspect of our mission is to provide safety and refuge to all who need safety and refuge. Do you know, do you know that there are some people that don't feel safe and secure in the local church? Do you know that there are some people who don't feel understood and accepted here at Calvary Church? do you know that there are people who don't feel at home here at Calvary Church? We are to be a place of safety and refuge, a place that opens its arms in hospitality and welcomes everyone, anyone who comes through those doors. They don't have to look like us. They don't have to think like us. They don't have to dress like us. We are to welcome anyone and everyone through those doors with open arms of hospitality, bringing them here, inviting them in so that they feel understood, accepted, and at home. We are to be a place of refuge and safety to everyone. Thinking about the Levitical cities and us here at Calvary Church. Are we moving away from the frontier? Are we moving back towards Shiloh, towards the safety and security of the center? Or are we a people who are deliberately choosing to move out to the frontier? so that we can be in contact with the people who need Jesus, so that we can offer safety, security, and refuge to the people who need Jesus. We are called, Calvary Church, and you and me, to live a life of divine purpose. We are on a mission, and our mission is to teach to witness, and to provide safety and security to everyone and anyone who needs it. In closing, I'd like to share a story with you. It's a story about a couple here at Calvary Church, Gary and Linda. Gary and Linda became involved in our neighbor's international ministry, living The divine purpose. They became involved in our neighbor's international ministry. It's a ministry that reaches out to foreign nationals who are here in the United States attending local colleges, building a relationship, welcoming the church, helping them meet their needs, providing a listening ear, and whatever somebody needs. Well, Gary and Linda were connected to a Nigerian family, a Muslim Nigerian family who was here in the United States, here in Grand Rapids, to study. Well, shortly after they, they were connected, they started to build a relationship. They became, they became friends and started to introduce them, if you will, to the United States. Shortly thereafter, their arrival, the wife had a, had a, had a baby, had a child, and, and, and their needs, obviously, their needs grew. They had more and more needs, and so the family, the Nigerian family, decides to bring the grandmother from Nigeria here to the United States to help out. When the grandma gets here, she's very ill. They take her to the doctors, and the doctors diagnose end-stage cancer. Shortly after arriving in the United States, the grandmother passes away. This Nigerian family is relatively new to the United States. They've brought over the grandma, and she passes away. They have no money for funeral or burial expenses. They have no idea what you do when someone in the United States dies. They're essentially lost. So Gary and Linda stepped up. And with the help of Calvary Church, paid for the funeral and burial expenses and some other associated expenses. This Muslim Nigerian family was blown away. The Muslim Nigerian community in Grand Rapids was blown away away. The Secular University even sent us a thank you note for the help that we provided. You see, Gary and Linda, they have a unique relationship with God, but they recognized that they have a divine purpose that God has sent them on a mission in order to bless others and bring them and introduce them and bring them into the kingdom of God. So they witness. They offer safety and refuge. They even brought the couple here to Calvary Church to hear teaching. They're living their divine purpose. And it didn't end there. The couple, the family, had to move from here to another university in another state so, in moving, Gary, Linda, Calvary Church helped provide expenses, help care and take care of the expenses in moving to the other state. And they also connected them to a Christian family in the city in which they were going to live who welcomed this Nigerian family with open arms. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a unique relationship with God. And it is not only for your benefit. It is for the benefit of others. So God has sent you on a mission. He has given you a divine purpose to teach, to witness, and to provide safety and refuge. May we at Calvary Church be a place that teaches the Word of God that witnesses to that one true God and that always and to anyone provides a place of safety and refuge.